The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. If you haven't already, I do invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and I promise we will get there. It's going to take us just a moment, but we will get to Acts chapter 1. Um, before I had children, I had hobbies. Um, and... Uh, my primary hobby that I absolutely loved was fishing. I know that may be hard for you, but I've worked very hard to shed my redneck accent that I had growing up in the deep woods of South Georgia. And when I say I loved fishing, I mean I bought my first boat when I was 17. Like, don't think yacht, all right? It, 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 it's poor excuse for a boat, but it floated, and that was the point, okay? So I bought that when I was 17. I used to fish all the time. However... When I started dating Holly, I found that I had a problem because I wanted to fish all the time and I wanted to spend all of my time with her. I had conflicting convictions and I wanted to keep both of them. I wanted to fish all the time, wanted to spend all my time with Holly. And this is when I discovered the magic of the early morning. This is the reason to this day I think that I still get up Early, uh, Holly and I didn't spend morning time together because we were both normally sleeping like all sane human beings do at those ungodly hours. But I began to get up early, and I kid you not, Shades, four to five days a week, I was on the water before the sun came up. And I would fish until it was either time for me to go to work or to go to school, and then I would go, I'd do what was obligated for my day, and then I would go spend the rest of the day with Holly. I found a way for my seemingly conflicting convictions, like I found a way for them to come together. Shades, we have to do the same thing. What do I mean? Last week, we finished up our series entitled Rooted, in which we explored many of our core convictions as Shades Valley Community Church. And I wonder if as we explore those convictions, I wonder if you felt any tension. Like, if you felt like any of them were coming into conflict with, with one another, let me point out the two I'm specifically talking about by kind of ratcheting up the tension a little bit for you this, this morning. We, uh, one of the core convictions we talked about was community. And specifically, we talked about the type of community we believe God's called us to be. We focused in on that we want to be a community that shares true and real fellowship, where we have real relationships with one another. We want to we want to be a real community where people can, can know us and we can know others. We don't, we don't have a desire to blow up and be the next mega church and just a large crowd of disconnected people. No, we, we want to be a family. And this conviction leads us to make some very practical decisions, decisions that we didn't talk about during the Rooted series, but we have talked about before. This conviction leads us to make some very practical decisions about our size. Even though our room typically hovers around max capacity, I mean, it's a holiday weekend and we're still pretty full. Even though our room normally hovers around max capacity, you might have noticed we haven't gone to two services. Every other church I've ever served, that's what we would do. Like the, the church growth books tell you to do that when you're 80% full or you begin losing people. You may notice that we haven't done that. That's on purpose. You might have noticed that we have not made this room bigger. We could. 
We're only using half this building. It wouldn't be hard to push this wall back. We haven't done that. Not just because we don't have the money. <laughs> but that's, that's on purpose. We haven't sought a bigger building. That's, that's on purpose. And, and, and as I'm saying those things, I, I want you to know, like, I don't believe those things are wrong. Like other churches that go to multiple services or expand their buildings or, or build bigger buildings. Like there, there's nothing in scripture to say that that's unbiblical, not at all. It's just that God has given us, it shades, convictions about the kind of community he's called us to be. He gives every community convictions about the kind of community they're called to be. And we believe that, that by becoming larger and larger, that would actually hinder and not help our calling. So, on the one hand, we've got convictions about the kind of community we've been called to be. And yet, last week during the Rooted series, we, we closed out the series by exploring the convictions we have concerning mission. We believe that God has called us to be a people who reach the lost with the gospel. Like beginning here in Birmingham, and yes, continuing on to the ends of the earth, but beginning here in Birmingham, we want to see people come to know Christ, and we want to see them connected to his body, the church. Do you feel the tension tightening? Like do you feel these, these conflicting convictions? On, on the one hand, we want to be a community that's able to remain a family that affects how large we are, but... But on the other hand, we want to see countless people come to know Christ and come to be a part of his church. Like, like this, this is bigger than my wanting to fish all the time and wanting to spend all my time with Holly. This is us wanting to fulfill our community calling and wanting to call all peoples into this community. How do we keep both convictions? Like we, we, we want to keep both convictions. How? I believe that the answer is through church planting. Our convictions concerning community and mission come together through church planting. As our community grows through mission, we commission people out to plant new churches because we can't contain everybody here. And that's okay. Our goal is not to build Shades Valley's kingdom. We are committed to building the kingdom of Christ. And those convictions come together through church planting. So here's, here's what we want to do. For the next three weeks, I want us to talk about church planting. Because through, through years of of prayer and conversation, I, the staff, the elders, the leaderships of, of Shades, we, we are convicted and we are convinced that this is the future of our mission. I'm not saying next week. We freak out. We don't have a timeline. We don't know if this is 10 months away or 10 years away. But we are convinced and convicted that this is the future of our mission. I believe that the Lord has been and is preparing us to be involved in church planting, locally and globally. I believe that he has been providentially laying the groundwork for this for years. I'll give you, I'll give you just one example of why I believe God has been at work for years laying the groundwork 
for taking us in this direction. Seven years ago, actually probably closer to eight years ago, as Holly and I, my wife, as we were wrestling through where God was calling us, what that was going to look like, one of the convictions we came to was that God was calling us to be a part of a smaller community. I wanted to pastor a community where I could know people, and you could know me. I, wasn't, I, I didn't want to be just people's preacher. I wanted to be their pastor, connected. And so we began to discuss and pray very specifically, well, what do we think that means? She had grown up in a very tiny church. I had grown up in a very huge church. As we prayed, we came to the conviction that if I ever pastored a church that grew beyond 300, we specifically settled on that number for some reason, if I ever pastored a church that grew beyond 300, we would want to see that growth continue through church planting. Mission through church planting was a core conviction, is a core conviction of, of ours. Well, as the Lord led us through the process of coming here to Shades Valley, early on in the interview process, I was given a document, a packet with some info about Shades. Like, here, here's some things you can learn about us and our ethos and who we are and who we want to be to see if you're a, a fit here. And I remember as I read through that document, there was one paragraph that literally made my jaw drop. And I immediately read it to Holly. And right now I'm going to read it to you. We, shades, we would love growth, but don't want to outgrow our family atmosphere. There's conviction about the kind of community God had called this place to be. We don't want to outgrow our family atmosphere. It has been said that we don't want the body to be over 300. It's even reflected in our architecture. In other words, we could have built this room bigger. If we grow larger than 300, our desire is to plant new churches. I remember Holly and I like just staring at that paragraph in, in utter disbelief. Because we, we felt such a confirmation. Like knowing that mission through church planting was not just a conviction of ours, it was a conviction of shades. I believe that the future of mission at Shades is church planting, not because of me, not because of the staff, not because of the elders, not because of the leaders, but because this is something God has been providentially moving the heart of Shades towards for years. Why? Why would God be moving Shades' heart, my heart, Holly's heart, our leadership's heart, why, why would he be moving our hearts towards church planting? Why should that be the future of mission at Shades? That's all I want us to talk about and look at for the rest of this morning. Over the next three weeks, we're going to ask three questions about church planting. Why, where, and how. So I promise I'm going to get to the where and the how. But... This morning, I just want us to examine why. Why should planting be the future of mission at Shades? And we've already seen perhaps a few logical reasons why. Like we want to see people come to Christ, connect to the body, but yet we have convictions about being a sort of community, so that kind of logically leads us to this place. We've seen some logical reasons why, but I want to know biblical reasons why. Why, why should this be the future of mission? Why should this be our heart at 
at Shades Valley Community Church. And here's my hope. As we begin to unpack this and go through, my, my hope is that as we see what Scripture says about church planting and we kind of merge that with where we are and with our future, my hope is that no one will feel guilted in a particular direction. My hope is that you'll feel joyed into it. That this is a joy that Christ, that God is setting before us and inviting us and empowering us to participate. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit through this word will excite us and incite us to this, this mission. So, why should church planting be the future of mission at Shades Valley? To, to answer that question, I've got you in the book of Acts. I told you we'd get there. All right, I've got you the book of Acts. We're just going to start in chapter 1 and verse 1. Luke, the author of this, writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So this book, the book of Acts, I just told you, it's written by a man named Luke. He was a close companion of the apostle Paul. Uh, he also, he didn't just write this book, he wrote a gospel the Gospel of Luke. And both of these books are addressed, we see right here, they're addressed to a man named Theophilus. We don't know a ton about Theophilus, but we know this from the beginning of Luke's Gospel. That, that Luke wrote these to him in order to confirm him, to give him confidence in Christ. So Luke is writing, I want to give you confidence, Theophilus, or we could fill our name in the blank. I want to give you, Shades, confidence in Christ. So first he writes a gospel all about the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. And that leaves you asking what's left to write. Like if your goal is to give me confidence in Christ, you just told me the whole thing. Like why is there a need for a second book? But Luke told us why in the opening verse that we just read of Acts. He said, in my first book, in the gospel, that was all about Jesus, what he began to do and to teach. In other words, Luke is saying, Theophilus, Shades, after the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus isn't done doing and teaching. Like he's still active. There's more to this story. Jesus may not be physically present, but he's going to keep working. He's going to keep teaching. How? Luke gives us the answer in the words of Jesus himself. Look down at verse 8. Jesus is speaking to his disciples right before he ascends, and he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. How is it? that Jesus is going to continue to do and to teach through his followers. Through his followers, Jesus is going to speak through their words. He's going to act through their actions. He's going to do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you get, what Luke, get, get what Luke is saying right here? He's saying, Theophilus, I want you to have confidence that Jesus is still doing and speaking. He's doing it through you. Shades, I want you to have confidence in 2019 that Jesus is still doing and speaking. He's doing it through you. He does it by empowering us to be his witnesses. And for the rest of the book of Acts, Luke will unfold what being Jesus' witnesses looks like. And it looks like church planting. 
That's what it looks like throughout the rest of the book. Acts 1 through 7 could be labeled church planting in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8 through 12 could be labeled church planting in Judea and Samaria. Acts chapter 11 through 28 could be labeled church planting to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus continues to do and to, and to teach. This, 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 is what he, this is the mission he's continued on. Building his church. He told us this was what he would do. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus says, I will build my church. Like This is his plan. This is his purpose. This is what he does. This is what he empowers. This is his heartbeat to build his church. Shades, why, why is the future of mission church planting for us? Because church planting aligns us with the heart of God. It has always been the heart of God to build a people for his own possession. It's always been the heart of God. He created mankind to be his people. Knowing that we would sinfully reject and rebel against him. And even so, he purposed from eternity to redeem a people from rebellion and bring them back to himself as his own possession. This is the heart of God's mission. He took on flesh and a literal heart to carry out this mission. A heart that bled for the completion of this mission. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 says that heaven echoes with this song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you purchased a people for God. By your blood you purchased Christ the lamb who was slain, you purchased a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is the heart of God's mission. It's the reason his heart bled to purchase a people for himself, to save for himself a people, his church. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The old hymn says, from heaven he came and sought her. This is the heartbeat of God. To save his own people, his, his church, is this the heartbeat of our mission? Like, does our heart beat to see people redeemed and made a part of God's people, the church? Luke, Luke has been pointing to the redemption of people, the salvation of sinners as the heart of God's mission ever since his gospel. Most famously in chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, Luke records three parables of Jesus, one about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, one about a lost son. And in each story, that which is lost becomes found and it results in a celebration which Jesus compares with the way heaven itself celebrates over a sinner who repents. But here's the whole point of all three stories. You can't see the point until you see who he's telling them to. And he's speaking these stories to the Pharisees who do not rejoice over repentant sinners being shown grace. They don't rejoice over the gospel. Their heart does not align with the heart of God. Desires. 
Does our heart align with the heart of God? Do we want to see people who are lost, found, redeemed to be a part of the people of God? Do we celebrate over what heaven celebrates over people becoming a part of God's people, the church? That is what church planting is all about. Church planting aligns us with the heart of the triune God. Let's dig a little bit further into that. I just want to stay at a generic level. Church planting aligns us with the heart of God. Let's dig a little bit into the specific. I said church planting aligns us with the heart of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. How? How does it align us with the heart of the Father? How does it align us with the heart of the Son? How does it align us with the heart of the Spirit? Let's dig into each of those aspects so that we may see more of why planting is the future of our our mission. We've said in general that it aligns us with the heart of God, but how does it specifically align us with the heart of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? First, the Father. Why is planting the future of our mission? Because planting aligns us with the plan of the Father. I want us to see each of these things through the book of Acts. First, planting aligns us with the plan of the Father. Look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. This is right before Jesus ascends to be at the Father's right hand, gathers his disciples together for some final instructions. He says this, or it says this, So when they had come together, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you at this time bring your kingdom in full? Set up your kingdom here, now, on this earth, your people ruling and reigning. Are you going to do that now? Verse 7, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. In other words, Jesus says the Father has a plan. It's fixed by his authority. He will bring my kingdom in full. My people will live and rule and reign with me. New heavens, new earth from now to forever. But that's not for you to worry about right now. Because the Father has fixed that plan, and he's got a plan for now. The plan is that you receive power. I know that's the Father's plan, because if you go just back up to verse 4, the promise of the Holy Spirit is called a promise of the Father. It's the plan of the Father to empower his people by the Spirit for the spread of the gospel. My Father does have a plan for right now. And that plan is for you to be my witnesses from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. My plan is for you to go forth planting churches, calling out my people as you go so that they're formed into a called out people, into an ecclesia. Ecclesia is the Greek word that simply means called out ones. Translate that into English, church. Go, call them out. Form them into a called out people, plant churches. And that's what they do for the rest of the book of, of Acts. This is the Father's plan, Jesus says, that he has revealed to you thus far. Align yourself with that. They do. I just said that they do. But at first, they kind of struggle with a little bit of it. Like, if you read through Acts, they do serve as Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem, but they don't really align themselves with the part of the Father's plan to take the gospel beyond that, to Judea, to Samaria, 
So are they going to thwart God's plan? Watch what happens in Acts chapter 8. You can turn there if you want. We're going to be back and forth between several passages in Acts. But Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 says, And there arose on that day a great persecution. That day was the day the first Christian was martyred, a man by the name of Stephen. And it says, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 4 says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. God says, I've got a plan, and that plan means that you're going to take the gospel to Judea and Samaria. And if you sit tight, I'll give you a reason to go. He's sovereign over everything, including sovereign over persecution. And God sovereignly works through the persecution of his church in Jerusalem to align his people with his plan. And the gospel spreads to Judea. To Samaria. If you just keep on reading the passage, churches are planted, started. And I think, I think the most interesting thing to me about these verses we just read in Acts chapter 8, I, th- I think the most interesting thing to me is, is who it is that's doing the spreading of the gospel. Who it is that's doing the planting of the, the churches. Did you notice who it is? Is it the church leadership? It's not. It's, it's not. It's the, it's the congregation. Luke is emphasizing that point. He wants us to get it. He emphasizes it in verse 1. Look back at Luke, I mean, excuse me, at Acts 8 and verse 1 again. He specifically points out the Christians are scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Not them. Everybody else is sent, but not the apostles. Ironically enough, the Greek word apostle literally means sent one. Everybody's sent except the sent ones. Like he's drawing attention to it. Who is it that's scattered to scatter scatter the gospel? It's, it's, It's the people of the church. God takes people from the Jerusalem church and uses those people to plant new churches. What? Why am I highlighting this? Here's the deal, Shades. As we begin this conversation about church planting, my fear is that some of you will check out. Not because you're against church planting, but because you just don't believe that's got anything to do with you. Like church planting is something that church leaders do. Like it primarily involves them making plans and setting up teams and coming up with administration Shades, nothing could be further from the truth. Church planting shades primarily involves you. It involves God's people praying. We're going to see that in Acts 13. It involves God's people praying. It involves God's people scattering the gospel. It involves God's people calling others to be a part of his people. God using a current congregation to gather a new one. When when I say that church planting aligns us with the plan of God, I don't just mean that it aligns us, Shades Valley. I mean that it aligns each one of us. It aligns you. With the plan of God, every single one of us has a role to play in church planting. We're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks, especially week three when we get to how. But right here in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 8, I hope that you can see 
part of why church planting is the future of our mission. Because planting aligns us with the plan of the Father. Therefore, it aligns us with the heart of God. Secondly, Secondly, why is planting the future of mission at Shades? Because planting aligns us with the purposes of the Son. Aligns us with the plan of the Father. It also aligns us with the purposes of the Son. We've already seen in Acts chapter 1 and verse 1 that Jesus is still active. He's still doing and he's still teaching in the world. He's still fulfilling his purpose. What purpose? Luke actually states the purpose of Christ rather explicitly in his gospel. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, we read, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. It all represents people Jesus came to seek and to save. This was his purpose. This is his purpose. He's still doing this. Seeking and saving the lost. Is that not what Jesus himself points out in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 when he says to his followers, you will be my witnesses. Like, you're going to go and you're going to bear witness to my saving work. That, that through my death and through my resurrection, I have paid the penalty for sin. I have died my people's death in their place. Go and be witnesses of that good news to the world. And when, when my people hear it, they will embrace it. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Go announce it. Call them out. Go seek and save the lost. Go align yourself with my purposes. We get, we get a beautiful example of this in Acts chapter 11. You can turn there if you want to. Acts chapter 11 verses 19 and 20, we read this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So they're going north from Jerusalem, up the Phoenician coastline. There's an island of Cyprus. They're going all the way out there. They're going as far north as Antioch. That's up in, in Syria back then, modern-day Turkey now. Going to all of these places. And it says that they're speaking the word to no one except the Jews. That's not because... They're prejudiced. It's because that's what makes sense to them. They're Jews. They go and they make contact with other Jews in the synagogue. This Messiah we've all been expecting, he's come. But something interesting starts to happen in Antioch. Verse 20, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that's to the Greeks. They spoke to the Hellenists also. Preaching the Lord Jesus. They begin to spread the gospel not only among the Jews, but among the Gentiles. They are aligning themselves more and more with the purposes of Jesus to seek and save the lost among all people. That's what they preach. It says they preach the Lord Jesus. They preach. There's this man, and he's the Lord, God in the flesh, and he came to seek and to save you and reconcile you to God. It's the gospel, it's the good news that they, they 
preach the Lord Jesus as Lord over all, not just over Jews, but over Gentiles. He came to seek and to save the lost. And what happens is they preach this gospel. Look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord, that's the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus they preach. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. These Christians, as they go and as they spread, they align themselves with the purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord powerfully works his purposes through them. Do you see that? They align themselves with his purposes. And so verse 21 says he works his purposes through them. They seek, he seeks and saves the lost through them. People are called out, gathered to be called out ones in ecclesia church and a church in Antioch is is planted they see Jesus fulfilling his purposes seeking and saving the lost and they're not the only ones who see it the Jerusalem church hears about what's going on up in Antioch little revival and they send a delegation He sent one of their church leaders, Barnabas, to go see what's happening, and he sees it. Look at verse 23. When Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord. He saw the grace of God. He saw the purposes of Christ being fulfilled, the lost being sought and saved by grace. He saw the purposes of Christ. Being fulfilled. Barnabas actually is going to bring another church leader along with him. A man named Saul, you may have heard of. We know him better as Paul, his Greek, the Greek version of his name. And he brings Paul up to Antioch. And they spend a year there helping to teach this church and to put them on this church plant on a firm foundation. And through this church plant, all of Antioch, all of Antioch will see, in some sense, the purposes of Christ being fulfilled. This is the third largest city in the Roman Empire, right behind Rome and Alexandria. Huge trade metropolis in the whole city looks at this little fledgling church plant. And do you know what they say? Look at the end of verse 26. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This whole city looks at this church plant, and here's their conclusion. Those are Christ's people. That's what Christian means. Christ's people, they belong to Christ. That that whole city, they may not have said it this way, but what they are seeing is Christ's purposes fulfilled, Christ seeking and saving his people. Through this church plant, everyone is seeing Christ fulfill his purposes. Do we want to be a part of that, Shades? A part of... Of, of, of participating in the fulfillment of Christ's purposes? Do we want to participate in the joy of heaven? Like seeing people lost, found. People called home by the, by the gospel. Do, do we want to be a part of Christ's Mission, seeking out the lost and announcing his saving gospel so that they're called out into his church. Do we want to see new churches formed, planted? This is why planting is the future of our mission. Because planting aligns us with the purposes of the Son. Thus it aligns us with the heart of God. Third and final, 
seen planting aligns us with the plan of the father the purposes of the son third and final why is planting the future of our mission because planting aligns us with the power of the spirit planting aligns us with the power of the spirit i've already read acts chapter 1 verse 8 where jesus promises his followers you will receive power You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice there. Notice that that Jesus says the Holy Spirit's empowerment is aimed at a specific purpose. What is it? You will receive power for what reason? To do what? To be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit will empower you to be my witnesses. And, and this makes sense. If you rewind to the Gospels, Jesus had told his disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes, this is what he's going to do. He's going to bear witness to me. John chapter 16 and verse 14. Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, he will glorify me. This is what he does. He convicts the world of sin so that their eyes are opened and they see me. He opens people's eyes to the beauty of me so that they turn to me. He's going to empower you to point others to to me. The Holy Spirit's power is aimed at bearing witness to Christ. And here's the deal, Shades. A lot of people, I hear people all the time, people sit in my office and talk to me about this. A lot of people talk about wanting to experience the Holy Spirit's power but they do not want to align themselves with what that power is aimed at. Like, that's like saying you want to experience the power of the deepest possible relationship between a man and a woman, but you don't want to get married. Like, that's what the whole thing is aimed at. Like, that's, that's a really popular notion in our culture. Like, I want deep intimacy. I don't want to commit to anyone or anything. I want to know what, like, an eternal covenant feels like without the eternal covenant. And many people want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, but not if it means being aimed at what he aims his power at. Most people want to experience the, the power of the Holy Spirit kind of like it's the force in Star Wars. Like it's just this kind of neutral power that I can harness through some type of spiritual discipline and I can wield it however I want for whatever my purposes are. But the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's a person. And he has a will. He has goals. He has a mission. He has an aim. He's got to aim for his power, and that aim is bearing witness to Christ, glorifying Christ. And we experience the Spirit's power when we align ourselves with that aim. And that's precisely what we do in church planting. We align ourselves with the aim of the Spirit's power. We see a beautiful illustration of this in Acts chapter 13. Last passage I'm going to take you to, Acts chapter 13. Remember the little fledgling church plant that we talked about in Antioch? Here we are about a year later. Let's read about them a little more. Acts 13 and verse 1 says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, better known as Paul. And while they, while this church, while they were worshiping, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, 
Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Church in Antioch sends out Saul and Barnabas to scatter the gospel, to to call out people, to form called out ones, to form church, to plant churches all around the Mediterranean. Now, here's my question. Who sent out Paul and Barnabas? Like verse 3 says it very clearly that the church in Antioch did it. After fasting and praying, they, the church in Antioch, sent them off. But listen to the opening words of verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So, Paul and Barnabas, were they sent out by the church in Antioch? Or were they sent out by the Holy Spirit? Yes. The answer is yes. Because the church in Antioch aligned themselves with the power of the Spirit. Do you see how that works? The Spirit said, set these men apart. I've got work for them to do. And Antioch participated in the Spirit's work. So they were empowered by the Spirit they, because they aligned themselves with what his power was aimed at, spreading the gospel, bearing witness to Christ, to build his church, planting churches. This required Spirit empowerment for Antioch to do this. Because it could not have been easy. This is a fledgling church, a year old. They've got a grand total of five leaders named to us in verse 1. And they're going to have to give up two of them. Two, two of their best, Barnabas and, and Saul. This, this required sacrifice. It could not have been easy, but they were empowered. And by the Spirit's power, this church plant helped to plant churches. Who planted churches? Who planted churches? Who planted churches? And if you trace that line all the way down through history somewhere, you will run into 1991. When a church plant called Shades Valley Community Church was planted in West Homewood, Alabama. May that line of joy-filled faithfulness not stop with us. Like this is our mission until he comes again. Do you notice how the passage in Acts chapter 1 ended? Like after Jesus says, I'm going to give you my spirit. He's going to empower you to be my witnesses. Then he ascends. Then what happens? Two angels show up and they say to all his disciples, "Wait, what are you doing? Why are you standing around just like staring at the sky? He told you to do something. Go do it, okay? Like he's going to come back, all right? Like trust him. He said that, but he's given you something to do. Go do it. Let's go do it, shades. May this line of joy-filled faithfulness not stop with us. May we align ourselves with the Spirit's power and be empowered to make sacrifices. Shades, church planting will be hard. I just, I just said just a moment ago that it's joy-filled, and it is, but it's also hard. It requires much sacrifice. This is one of the reasons we are described as a people who are sorrowful but always rejoicing. 
We felt the sting of God calling out and setting apart our best and us sending them off. They're in stinking Montana and Nepal. This, this will be hard, but that's why it requires Holy Spirit empowerment. Do you want to experience Holy Spirit empowerment? Or do you want to experience ease? Do, do we want to pursue, do we want to follow the purposes of Christ? Or do we want to be satisfied with the pleasures of comfort? Do we want to participate in the plan of the Father? Or do we want to say, you've brought us this far, but, but no farther? Do we want to align ourselves with the heart of the triune God? May our answer be a resounding yes that echoes in the praises of churches we plant long after we are gone. Shades, this is why church planting. Because planting aligns us with the plan of the Father, the purposes of the Son, and the power of the Spirit. Planting aligns us with the heart of God. Amen.